Well, you know, I, I'd always thought that I was a good athlete. And then 16 years ago, my wife and I moved to Corvallis, Oregon, uh, where I started working at a church. And within days, I got invited to play on the church softball team. And so, you know, I just assumed that they knew that I had been a high school baseball prospect and they desperately needed me on their team. So I show up to the first game with my cleats and my glove and I'm just, are they going to put me at shortstop and hitting leadoff? Are they going to have me batting third and hitting cleanup? Or sorry, playing third and hitting cleanup? And I show up first day, coach who's an elder at the church looks me right in the eyes and he says, Petey, I have you starting on the bench and batting 17th. I'm sorry, did you say batting 17th? What does that even mean? So apparently everybody on the team was in the batting lineup, one through whatever, and if you guessed, 17th was dead last. So my feelings were a little bit hurt. But more so, I was really disappointed because these were guys who I wanted to belong to. I wanted to fit in with. I wanted them to know that I I was one of them and I wanted to prove it on the softball field. And I walked away from there not primarily upset that I was batting 17th, but upset that I felt like I wasn't accepted as a part of the team because I was sort of last place for them. And there are a lot of times where we carry burdens in our lives and that those burdens, whatever we're struggling with, it's actually attached to something way deeper inside of us, some other brokenness that sits at a deeper level that we might not even realize. The good news we're going to see today is that brokenness goes deep, but Jesus goes deeper. Brokenness goes deep, but Jesus goes deeper. Deeper. So we're going to look at a text in Mark chapter 5 that shows us whatever we're struggling with, that Jesus is strong enough to carry those burdens, but he's also strong enough to fully restore us to God and to God's purposes for our lives. So if you have one of these journal Bibles, I would encourage you to follow along. We have uh, some in the back, and so if you want one of these journal Bibles, if your first time, raise a hand and Usher will come and drop one off. We're going to make some notes in the text, and so if you're following along, if you don't have a journal Bible at home, grab a notebook, another Bible. But we're in Mark chapter 5, starting in verse 24. It says, and he went with him. Stop right there. We didn't make it very far. But draw, draw a line underneath that phrase, and he went with him. Draw a line and then go down to the bottom after verse 34 and draw another line. So you should really segment off that section of verse 24 to 34. Draw two lines. And, and the reason I want you to do that is to visualize that today's story is actually a story within a story. And there's a story that's already set in motion in those first few words, and he went with him, actually hearken back to that first story. So the he is Jesus, and the him is a religious leader of Israel named Jairus. 
And so Jairus is, uh, who we're told is a, a religious leader of the synagogue, a uh, Pharisee more than likely, but we're also told he's the parent, he's the dad of a young girl who's suffering and is very ill and close to death. And so he comes to Jesus and he says, Jesus, can you come and heal my daughter? So we'll pause right there and, and recognize that Jesus has had lots of interactions with religious leaders just like Jairus, and they've not gone so well. In fact, that's all what Mark has been showing us is how Jesus has been bumping up against these religious leaders, and particularly around healing stories. When, when healing stories come into play, things really don't go well. Now, let me also just acknowledge that it's easy for us in 2021 to read these stories and to see these religious leaders and to think, bad guys. Those are the villains of the text. But that's not exactly fair. In fact, they were very, very committed to their relationship with God. Now what Jesus exposes is sometimes their commitment to their relationship to God was, were misguided. But people in Jesus' day, including those who follow Jesus like his 12 disciples, would have actually had a great deal of respect for religious leaders like Jairus. In fact, they would have thought, I would love for somebody like Jairus to think highly of me. And so when Jairus comes to Jesus and says, can you heal my child? What do the disciples think? Yes, we might finally get on the good side of these religious leaders. And so Jesus and his disciples, they start making their way across town to Jairus' home to, to visit his suffering, dying daughter. And this is an urgent situation. So what I want you to imagine is like when somebody's desperately ill at the hospital and the doctors and the nurses are rushing them back to like emergency surgery. This is a tense moment. Every second counts. And then that's where our story begins in verse 24. It says, a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. So pause right there. In the text, circle 12 years and write the word excluded out beside it. 12 years and excluded. Because in the Old Testament, God's people had what we might call exclusionary laws. Meaning that there were certain physical conditions that made someone unclean and made someone excluded from being able to participate in the worshiping community of Israel. And so this woman's condition, which implies a feminine bleeding, is something that would have made her considered excluded from her people, that she could not be a part of worshiping God with her fellow Israelites because of this physical condition. So not only is she suffering and physically exhausted from over a decade of this dangerous and painful medical condition, it's also alienated her from her community. 
from feeling like a normal, functioning human, from being a part of Jewish society. So that's really important for our text today, is that you keep in mind the obvious thing, that she was physically bleeding, was connected to a deeper issue. And that is that she wasn't just uncomfortable because of her medical condition, but she carried the psychological and emotional burden of 12 years of being excluded from a relationship with God and a relationship with others. The brokenness runs deeper than anyone realizes. And for us, we often have stress and anxiety and brokenness and burdens that we carry, and they affect us at a deeper level than we ever admit and others ever realize. And so while Jairus and the disciples and Jesus are busting it across town, this desperate woman who we are told she has spent everything she has on unsuccessful and painful medical treatments decides to gamble and she goes for Jesus' garment. Now, out beside the text, I want you to write the word tassel. The word tassel, because in ancient Israel, they believed that the tassels on the garments of religious leaders carried power for healing. So that's why she goes for the garment of Jesus, for the tassels. And it looks like it works. The text tells us she's miraculously healed. healed. The bleeding stops. In verse 30, Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? Who touched my garments? If you were the woman in this story, this would have been a paralyzing, frightening moment for Jesus to turn and look for you and say, Wait, who did that? Because remember, she's unclean. And for an unclean person to touch anyone else is to make them unclean. So not only has she risked making everybody in the crowd unclean, because we're told the crowd was just honed in around Jesus, we're also told she is making Jesus unclean by touching his garment. And that gives you a sense of the desperation, the great lengths to which she's willing to go. By the way, she cannot make Jesus unclean. Verse 31, and his disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, who touched me? Look, the disciples were impatient. They're annoyed that Jesus has been sidetracked because what were they thinking? This is the moment, Jesus, this very important man has asked us to help. And you're going to be sidetracked by her? Eyes on the prize, Jesus. Come on. And Jesus, while everybody else is so stressed, is amazingly unhurried and willing to sit and take a moment and be with this woman who just wanted to grab his garment and run away. And he turns, verse 32, And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. Verse 34. And he said to her, Daughter, 
Your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. You see, she's healed from her physical condition, but then Jesus knows she needs something else. She needs more. That her brokenness goes deeper than she realizes that even though she's been physically healed, the bleeding has stopped, she still carries the shame of 12 years of being excluded and not feeling like a human. See, the brokenness always goes deeper than we realize. And even though the obvious thing might get healed, there's a deeper restoration that we need. For example, many of us are very much looking forward to the day where we can sit right next to each other in pews without masks on singing. We're looking forward to the day where our kids are back in person, in school, all the time, without hybrid, without breaks, all of this. We're looking forward to the day where we can travel without limitations. We're looking forward to the day where we can eat in restaurants without awkwardness. I'm looking forward to being able to walk down the grocery aisle without having to awkwardly avoid people. And when those things all come back, we'll be like, that's great. That's good. But... It will not solve the trauma of over 12 months of not quite acting like humans towards each other. Right? We will need to be restored to the better possibilities of what it looks like to live together as humans. We will need more. And Jesus wants more for this woman. He will not let her just slip away into the crowd. In your Bibles, underline the phrase, made you well, and then out beside it, I want you to write the Greek word sozo, S-O-Z-O equals healed slash saved, healed or saved. This is a beautiful word that's used here for made you well, because Jesus says your faith has sozoed you, your faith has healed you, your faith has saved you. What he's not saying is that your faith has stopped the bleeding. He's saying that your faith has changed the trajectory of your life. Jesus restores her to the possibilities of being a full human in full relationship with God and fully to the possibilities of what God wants for her. Philosopher James K.A. Smith said, The heart's hunger is infinite, which is why it will ultimately be disappointed with anything merely finite. She needed the bleeding to stop, but ultimately her physical healing would not satisfy her. It would not be enough to restore her life. I want you to ask yourself a question this morning. Where is life disappointing me? Where is life disappointing me? Is it because I'm settling for less than what God has for me? See, many of us reach out for Jesus in our darkest moments. But most of the time, we're pretty satisfied with the life that we can provide for ourselves. But notice this. 
Jesus says, your faith has saved you. Not your touch, not tassels, your faith. Because it's not a transaction. She doesn't exchange reaching out and touching his garment for getting healing in return. Her healing was never about what she could do, which means it was always about what Jesus could do. And the good news is that Jesus doesn't want to heal some of you. He wants to heal all of you. And his death and his resurrection, Jesus goes to the depths of our brokenness to offer us a healing that we don't even quite know we need. And to forgive us of the sins that stand in the way of a right relationship with God and the future that God has for us. We cannot just take what we want from Jesus and then run away and do our own thing. French philosopher Gustave Thibon says, If you fly away from yourself, your prison will run with you. See, we need healing for all parts of us, all of our lives. Otherwise, we'll just keep carrying the brokenness that lives deep within us. We'll keep bumping up against the disappointment of a life built on what we can do rather than a life built on the possibilities of a life with Jesus. Our brokenness goes deeper than we realize. But the healing of Jesus goes deeper than we could imagine. I don't know if you've ever been on a road trip and run into car troubles. But let's imagine, let's just imagine that you're driving from, say, here to Vail to go on a family ski trip. Let's just say that. And let's say around Omaha, you blow a tire, you get a flat tire. Now, you have to pull over, find somewhere to change the tire, get the tire changed. Maybe you lose a few hours, depending on the time of day it is. But you get your tire fixed. But then you think, well, if we keep driving, the tire might just pop again. Maybe, maybe we just stay here. Maybe we, just, maybe we don't go home, we don't go forward, we just stay. The tire's fixed, let's not, let's not chance it, let's not mess it up. Is it possible that Jesus offers us healing and we're content to settle for less than the destination that he has for our lives? Is it possible that God has come to us in Jesus Christ to give us a better future and yet we would settle for less than that? Guys, God doesn't just want to heal some of you. He wants to restore all of you because he has something he wants to do in you and through you and with you. Let's learn together what it looks like to build a life on the possibilities that Jesus offers us and trust that he is strong enough to deal with the everyday burdens we carry, but also strong enough to fully and deeply restore and heal every single part of us. Amen. Let's pray. Holy and loving God, we are grateful that you see us in our messiness and our brokenness and that you come near. That when we just want what we want and to run off, that you stop us and that you look us in the face 
and that you have a deeper vision, a deeper dream, a deeper desire for our lives, for our present, and for our future. God, teach us what it looks like to turn over not just some of us, but all of us to you, to lay our lives at the foot of the cross and know that you are the king who can redeem us, who can restore us, who can offer us new life. God, we turn to you and trust in you alone. In the name of God, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, we pray. Amen.